Cars of Carlisle podcast, episode 12. Today, Darren and I talk to Ed Bozeski about the Chrysler and Hearst Nationals coming up in Carlisle, July 13th through the 15th. So let's get revved up. Good afternoon, it's Darren. And Holly. We are here in the Carlisle Events Conference Room again, and thankfully, Ed Bezeski took a little bit of time out of his extremely busy day to meet with us. We are excited to be talking about the Carlisle Chrysler Nationals coming up here July 13th through 15th. And Ed, thank you so much for giving us some time. You're welcome. Well, first of all, we know that this is going to be a packed show, a lot of special guests, um, some other features, but let's maybe start with just the passion behind this, this particular show. Okay. Yeah, this this is our show that has more passion, in my opinion anyway, than, than any of our other shows. Um, definitely a lot of passion behind all the events here, but the, the Chrysler show, there's just a, a way of life with the Mopar people, and, and we all live it and breathe it, and you know I've been doing it for most of my life, so it, it's definitely a different group. Mm-hmm. Do you find that it's um, much more inclusive, or I guess I shouldn't say it that way, but it's, it's one that... Um, spans so many different uh, walks of life, generations, uh, and most Mopar lovers appreciate all makes and models of of the vehicles, correct? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, from the earliest to the most recent, and, uh, you know, even throughout the 80s when we had the turbo cars, it's just a a very inclusive group. It's very much a community, very much a family. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a saying that came about years ago, and I still believe it today, Viper to Valiant. It doesn't matter. We're all part of one family. That's good. So for people that maybe aren't as versed in this, could you explain what Mopar means? Where does that come from? Well, it started out as the Chrysler Parts Division. It was a contraction of the word motor and the word parts. And they combined it together and called it Mopar, and it was just to be the parts division. And I'm honestly not old enough to know exactly who, (laughs) you know, where the street lingo came from and and who decided to call the entire family of cars Mm. Mopars. But that's ultimately what it is. Um, I I guess, again, because we're not segregated like some of the other brands where, you know, you can like Dodge and Plymouth and Chrysler Mm -hmm. and DeSoto and Imperial, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all one family. So somebody came up with the idea of saying Mopar instead of Mm -hmm. the different brands, because even though they're all under the Chrysler umbrella, I I guess because back in the day, Chrysler had the, the uh, perception of being the luxury brand. So you didn't want to be associated just with the luxury brand. There was the performance there and, and everything else. So somewhere along the line, and it was way before my time, but Mopar became the term for any of the cars under the Chrysler umbrella. I feel so enlightened, I gotta tell you. I've been wondering about that and just haven't thought to ask. So thank you for that, Ed. You're welcome. Well, and Holly's in marketing, so we've all heard, of course, the H-E-M-I, Hemi, 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 Hemi. Yes. Especially with, uh, you know, now with the Demon and, and uh, the Charger and Challenger, uh, of course, all the trucks. But that was going way back to the hemispherical uh, pistons, correct? The head. Well, the piston as well as the, the chamber and the head okay. you know, being half a sphere, so a hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And that was something a little bit different at the time. And but that's associated directly with Mopar cars, correct? Like, Yeah, it actually came about even earlier than, than any of the Chrysler vehicles, but oh, Chrysler's okay. the one that really in 55, I guess, it really put it on the map and used it okay. widely. Nice. So Great. that's another... Good, good history account. lesson for me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So Ed, tell a little bit about the fact that with the price of admission, you essentially get 
two shows for the same price. Correct. The Chrysler Nationals has been around since 1991, and then last year we got the idea to start, through our buddy Larry Weiner at Performance West Group, to do a Hearst Nationals. And originally it wasn't supposed to be on the Chrysler weekend, but just due to logistics here it worked out that way. And uh, you know, we've, we've been tagging it onto the Chrysler show now. This will be the second year. But essentially we have two shows going on on the same weekend, both run by Carlisle Events, two slightly different locations, Chrysler Nationals being at the fairgrounds, Hearst Nationals being across the street at the Expo Center. And there's a little bit of crossover in that there are some Chrysler vehicles that were, were built by Hearst. But Hearst also did stuff a lot with AMC, probably the most with General Motors. I mean, it's mm -hmm. kind of hard to say Hearst without saying Olds right after I was going to say that. Yeah. But, 442. Uh, yeah. They did a little bit with Ford here recently, but not much back in the day other than OE shifters. You know, Hearst mm -hmm. provided a lot of the shifters for the Ford vehicles. So two very different shows, very individual, but going on on the same weekend. And the nice thing is if you get admission to... Either one, no matter what capacity, show field, vendor, or uh, just general admission, you get free access to the other one. And we're even running a shuttle back and forth between the two for free. So nice, pretty nice little bonus there to get the two shows at one price. And was that really well received in 2017? I imagine it was. Yeah, we, we had people, um, guests coming from as far away as California. We had individual car owners. In fact, we have one coming back this year who came from Texas mm. and enjoyed it so much last year he wanted to come back. Um, and a few other folks, Colorado, uh, Wisconsin, I mean, they, they definitely came the distance and, and really enjoyed the show, as, as did all the guests. All the Hearst engineers are coming back. It's going to be a neat time. Nice. That's excellent. Well, I do know that uh, Linda Vaughn herself is uh, scheduled to come back, correct? Yeah, she couldn't make it last year. We, we tried and tried, but due to some health issues, and she actually, her surgery got pushed back to where it actually occurred on Friday of the show. So once we knew that schedule, and, and there was just no way mm -hmm. we were going to get her here, but she felt so bad about it that as soon as I contacted her after the show she and said, would you like to just shift everything to 2018? She said, absolutely. And she's just been a blast to work with and very excited about coming out here. Excellent. Well, I know she's a, a crowd favorite. What about, can you tell a little bit about um, the uh, Golden Commandos and the Ram Chargers for those that aren't as familiar? Yeah, the, the Ram Chargers were Dodge's factory team. They were employees, engineers, you know, just various uh, employees of the company. They ran under the Dodge brand. Um, a lot of factory support since they were employees of the company, a lot of resources there that were then eventually shared with the other Dodge teams. And on the Plymouth side, you had the Golden Commandos basically doing the same thing. You had employees, engineers, etc. that formed a race team, ran under the Plymouth umbrella, so they actually did compete with the Ram Chargers. They were two competing teams, as were Dodge and Plymouth in sales. Mm -hmm. They were competing. But uh, yeah, the two teams that, that did the most through the factory and you know, much different than today where a lot of the high-end race teams feed the factory. Back then it was the factory feeding the race teams and, and that's what their jobs were for both groups was to do a lot of the R&D, come up with the parts, and then share them with the independent teams. And I imagine through that, those skunk works they were able to probably really engineer some things that were cutting edge just because they're out there racing each weekend and, and deciding what works, what doesn't. Yeah, both groups had really smart people on the teams. Um, you know, the Ram Chargers built a car called the High and Mighty that just looked crazy, but the physics and the science behind it really worked. And the Commandos, a lot of neat things also. And we have a seminar this year from Ray Kobe, and he used chemistry to make their cars faster. He, he found ways to, to modify the fuels within the rules or maybe between the, the lines of the rules, mm -hmm. as well as the lubricants. And traction compound, the traction compound that's used today. For, for drag racing was something that Ray had come up with. Wow. And it's what sprayed on the track to, 
to get more traction on launch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Other guests that uh, the podcast listeners want to be aware of, to know about, uh, that they'll see this uh, coming weekend? Well, between the two shows, and we have Bob Riggle. He was here last year with mm-hmm. the driver of the Hearst Hemi under glass. Um, again, another uh, Arizona native who wanted to, or resident, I should say, who wanted to come back and, and enjoy the show again this year. And this year he will be joined with his Hemi under glass race car. Um, there were several of them, but the neat thing about this one, this is the one that he rolled about a year and a half ago mm. with Jay Leno. So same mm. car, it has been repaired, but it is literally the car that he and Jay got to roll over at in, uh, Ir- rolled over at Ir- Irwindale. Wow. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that, that'll be pretty neat. Um, Herb McCandless, he's just a good friend of, of mine and a friend of the hobby. He's here every year. Um, you know, we're really lucky to have him. We, we kind of take him for granted sometimes because he's just always here. But, you know, what a big name in the hobby he's always been. And just just a great person, always helping people out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he does his seminars each year here, just loves to talk to people. And uh, what's really neat about Herb, any show he goes to, and, and I've, his, his son has actually sent me pictures of his dad, you know, Herb, talking to a crowd and he'll say something like, here's Dad talking to anybody who will listen. Tell them to come to the Carlisle Chrysler <laughs> Show. So he, he loves the show. We love him. J- just a great guy to have here. And you know, he brings so much to the show and so much to the hobby. We owe him you know, quite a bit. Uh, Mr. Norm you know, mm-hmm. from Grand Spalding Dodge, he was kind of one of the pioneers back in the day, building and selling, well, building to a degree, but mostly selling performance models where most people were trying to sell you know, station wagons and four doors just to make money. Uh, Grand Spalding in Chicago was really known for the performance cars. And then they took it a little bit further and actually developed some of the cars, you know, proved to Chrysler that certain things could be done, big blocks in A bodies, mm. and, uh, you know, took the cars up to Auburn Hills and said, look, it can be done. We did it. So then eventually Chrysler would follow suit and produce, you know, the cars that, that Norm was building at his dealership. Um, and Kevin Wesley, I mean, he's been racing, road racing for many years and uh, has caught the attention of Chrysler FCA lately and been running a lot of cars for them. And uh, about two weeks ago, he ran Pikes Peak in a, a, he called it a modified Hellcat Challenger. Here it turns out it was one of the earliest Challenger Red Eyes, which were announced last week. That's the new 797 horsepower Hellcat. Oh my. So that was the reason, and I didn't get it at the time, but why I never saw an engine shot and why uh-huh. he never described the engine. He uh-huh. just said it's a slightly modified Hellcat. Uh-huh. So he'll be here with his car. Um, you know, fresh off of his run at Pikes Peak, and he's still running it throughout the season, so he's going to make a stop here and, and join us, and that'll be pretty neat. Wow. One of the things I saw um, in looking through the show event planner is the Hall of Fame. Um, that's something that I don't think I've seen at any other show that I've been to thus far. Um, who are these folks that get inducted into the Hall of Fame, and can you tell us a little bit about the Hall of Fame itself? Like, is this... Mopar wide or is this Carlisle Events Hall of Fame? Like what exactly, how does the Hall of Fame work? Well, it's a little bit tricky. It it was the idea of Rob Wolf, Mopar Collector's Guide Magazine, one of the co-founders, publisher, editor, writer. Um, Probably about 10 years ago, he started bouncing the idea around of creating a Mopar Hall of Fame because a lot of our folks are getting older and, you know, some of them maybe weren't big enough in NASCAR or NHRA or whatever, or or maybe they were and were acknowledged there. But we felt, or he felt, I should say, that there was a, a need in the Mopar hobby to honor these folks like the Ram Chargers and the Golden Commandos mm-hmm. who really brought a lot 
to the hobby, you know, the Mopar side of it, as well as just the car hobby in general. And uh, took him a couple years to, to get it off the ground because, you know, with doing a magazine and so much else that he does, it took a little bit of time, but he partnered with us and said, hey, you know, the biggest and best place to do this is Carlisle. So are you on board? And of course, absolutely we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also says it's really not part of the magazine, that, that the Hall of Fame is a standalone event, but it is definitely connected to Mopar Collector's Guide as well as Carlisle. Mm-hmm. So we've teamed up and uh, we're in our seventh year. And uh, just just a way to acknowledge and honor the folks that have, have given us this weekend. I mean, mm-hmm. with, without them, who's to say what the, the show would look like and what mm-hmm. the landscape would be. But yeah, we induct quite a variety of folks each year. Um, it's been drag racers, it's been NASCAR, it's been engineers and behind the scenes people. Um, you know, occasionally we have some names that people aren't even familiar with. And, and that's, again, part of the reason to do this. We may know what they did, but we don't know who did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really neat to spend a Saturday evening, you know, there at the Radisson. And you're not reading about it in a book. You're not hearing it from your uncle's cousin's brother. You're hearing it right from the folks that did it and, you mm-hmm. know, not, not just lived it, but actually created the things that we mm-hmm. recognize and enjoy so much in this hobby. So it, it's really quite an interesting evening. Um, it's open to anybody that wants to buy a ticket. It, it's just a blast. Um, I, I, we, we really should be turning people away at the doors. I don't know why everybody in the hobby isn't there mm-hmm. each year to, to enjoy this. But. Well, and that even if you don't go to the the actual ceremony, they'll be here signing autographs during the event, right? So, Correct. All the, all the inductees are invited here. Um, I, I can't think of any that haven't actually joined us in the past. We set up a big tent. It kind of has two names. It's the autograph tent or the Hall of Fame tent. Um, you know, we do it there on the, on the show field right near the, the midway, and we fill it up. That's also where the Ram Chargers and Golden Commandos hang out because they're here every year, and they are you know, members of the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity for people to get a little more one-on-one time with them. Um, they are all there during the evening just sitting at tables, and they're totally approachable. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you've got a, a room full of several hundred people, Versus here at the show where you can just walk up and talk to them for, you know, all day long versus, you know, a couple of hours in the evening. But, yeah, we do have them here, and it's, it's a great opportunity for photos and autographs and, and just conversation. Because these, really these are just normal folks. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. just neat people. That's great. And I think that's one of the really special things about the automobile hobby is the fact that there is that inclusivity and the approachability for the most part. There are, are plenty of sports and leisures and and uh, pastimes and what have you that it, it's a bit walled off but uh, as holly and i can attest is to if you're standing in, in a line for food or for um you know, ride along on the autocross or whatever it might be it's almost impossible not to strike up a conversation and you have to really be introverted to not want to talk to people that are there for the, all the same reasons. And that's, I think, an exceptional part about this this hobby. Yeah, the, the car hobby in general, we see that. Um, and especially most of the folks that we really honor and celebrate here, they came from that generation mm-hmm. where, I'm, I'm kind of speaking for them, but I think they would agree, they came from a time when they got to make a living doing what they loved. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people still remember them and, and appreciate it. Because a lot of them went on to do different things after their careers were over, whether it was an engineer or racing. Mm-hmm. You know, they went on to, to be farmers or to raise a family or whatever. And it's just really neat that, that they appreciate being appreciated. Mm-hmm. And it, it is amazing that none of them are exclusive or, you know, run into a trailer and hide as soon as they're done. They're, <laughs> they're just here all weekend. They're walking around. Um, it is. It's, it's really a neat hobby. And, and a lot of people are kind of afraid to approach some of these folks. But, 
most, in fact, everyone I've ever worked with here has just been absolutely approachable and, and they welcome the, the conversation. That's great to see. Anything big happening for 2018 on the Midway as far as any new manufacturers or anyone else joining this year? Um, we, we've always got some neat stuff going on. Um, I really got to give props to Petty's Garage. They really wanted to make a big impression this year, so they've doubled their Midway footprint. Um, in addition to that, they were actually willing to help me out with running the track if needed. But each year, they sponsor the burnout contest. So whereas at the other shows, you get a free show field pass and a trophy, these guys a couple years ago stepped up and said, hey, how about if we do the King's Crown? Yeah. And I, I wondered if that's what I thought it was and exactly yeah. what we all think. It's the Richard Petty hat autographed by Richard. Um, it's in a big acrylic display case. Mm. That's basically priceless. Then this year, they, they jumped up another notch and said, hey, we're going to give away a set of Continental tires, any size they make, to the winner. So you can put a value on that. I mean, mm -hmm. And again, depending on the tire size, you could be up to 2500 bucks. Sure. But... Uh, I'd personally rather have the hat, but I'd take some tires, too. <laughs> um, and then Herb McCandless, his son Mike, has uh, started a McCandless Museum collection, and he's going to have a big uh, hundred-and-some-foot display on the Midway, bringing somewhere between eight and ten cars, um, a lot of forward-look cars. He's got, uh, I think he's bringing one, of his, one or two of his dad's old drag cars. Nice. Um, so that's pretty neat, um, and he, he just wants to be here to promote the museum and really actually beyond the museum he really wants to be here to spend time with his dad and let his dad really enjoy the show mm. so that's pretty cool and that's part of that whole generational aspect that's unique and, and special yep well 50th birthday coming up right for the roadrunner absolutely and i did uh, i did read something about the the horn the uh the beep beep horn yep. contest right. yeah. sound off well not a contest yeah but just, sorry <laughs> it's, it's one of those things once you hear that horn once and and kids especially they see a roadrunner and if they mm -hmm. know that's what it is and mm -hmm. it has the horn they're you know why do they want to hear the horn and so, i was explaining that to holly in the drive over you know they, beep, beep. yep this, they literally <laughs> took this big old car where everybody else has that deep horn and they <laughs> right. meep meep right from the cartoon <laughs> that's and what's the, great the about horn's it. even purple and says voice of roadrunner on it <laughs> it's it's pretty neat well some of them are black but either a black or purple horn <laughs> and you have this big car with this little beep beep horn. Yep. So we're going to have them all sound off. That's pretty cool. And then 2 o'clock on Friday, right? The the tribute with the, the full minute of Engine Rev. Engine Rev for anybody who wants to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we started that a couple years ago as we've lost a few people in this hobby. And unfortunately, earlier this year, we lost Bill Stiles, mm -hmm. famous drag racer, but also a local. And, and, you know, again, being local, it's easy to take for granted. But. Bill was one who was always here. You know, as long as his health was up to it, him and his boys would come out. And uh, you know, if we wanted him to be a guest, he'd be a guest. Otherwise, he'd just come and hang out mm -hmm. to enjoy the, the mm -hmm. Mopar family. Mm -hmm. And we have a little tribute to Bill in the event guide this year. Good. And we'll certainly miss him. Good. And certainly, we all know that uh, a perfectly restored car sometimes is better than when it left the show, or I should say it left the plant floor and made it to the showroom. And, um, we all see, and no matter Mopar or otherwise, perfect examples of, of better than new restoration. But the survivors, uh, barn finds, everybody has a, has a name or a vernacular term for it, but that's something very special, and I, I'd love to hear your, your perspective on that. Yeah, that, that's another neat thing that we do at this show that really we don't, to this degree anyway, do at the other events. And... Uh, these really are true survivors. Barn finds don't make the cut for this display. I mean, we love barn finds and, and patinaed cars, mm -hmm. but uh, the survivor display, and I'm not going to say we, it's Mel Major puts this together. He is known as the Mopar survivor guy. Um, 
he canvasses throughout the year finding cars and his criteria is a little bit more strict than a lot of the survivor criteria out there in the car world his is 85% or more original and he's pretty picky about it um, you know he doesn't want cars where the engine's been pulled out and rebuilt and repainted they can have had a little bit of repair work done here and there but 85% or more original and presentable you know mm -hmm. these are all well, I shouldn't mm -hmm. even say presentable these are nice cars a lot of them you'd have to look at them a couple times to say that's is that a restored car or is that a survivor wow. but uh, yeah he's real picky about that we get between 40 and 50 each year which that's really amazing when you consider say, we're in the a, rust belt exactly that's a and, big count yeah to have that many that truly survive mm -hmm. um, it's just phenomenal and they're you know the criteria is 25 years old or older we opened it up to front-wheel drive last year um, it was something that Mel had bounced off of me a couple times and you know the hobby's changing the front-wheel drive cars definitely deserve their day in the Sun mm -hmm. so we opened it up last year on a limited basis we got a few in this year so hopefully that continues because they are a part of the hobby. I mean, we don't want to skip that whole generation. Sure. And uh, But typically we go back, I think the oldest one this year might be 1956. Um, I have a couple in mind for next year. I don't know if they'll be in the survivor display or in the building, but I was recently contacted by a gentleman who has, gentleman who has two cars, a 1961 and a 62, I believe, both with less than 100 miles on them. And they've been stored in a climate-controlled building from day one. Oh, my word. So anxious to have those out here next year. But Sur oh Survivor Display is really probably my favorite display. I mean, they're only original once. We hear that a lot. Sure. But to see 40 to 50 of them, some in the, in the hands of the original owner still, mm -hmm. which is pretty neat. Um, and they're not all muscle cars. We do four doors. We do 318 cars, six-cylinder. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But they do have to meet that criteria of at least 80, 85% original and... Uh, yeah, just really, really neat display. I mean, anybody who doesn't take the time to look through them is really missing out. Well, to borrow some of your words, uh, it's really um, a step back in time. Oh, absolutely. This gives, you said about 1961, 1962. Next year, that, that's the opportunity to go to see something that would have been just like on the showroom years before many of Literally. us maybe have been born wow. or what have you. So that's yeah. pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, and we actually, even for the Hearst Nationals, we have probably half a dozen unrestored cars over there, super low mileage. Um, so that'll be pretty neat, too. But, yeah, step back in time. I mean, people try their best to recreate the assembly line procedures mm. and get them. Because <laughs> there's that over-restored that you mentioned about the cars being better than they were. Mm -hmm. And then there's the guys that make every effort to get them as close as they can to factory. But these are factory. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, That's amazing. they're as good as you're going to get. That's really cool. Let's see. Was there any anything else from, uh, let's see, like any of the programs, any of the aesthetic displays, any other guests or, or any of the feature cars that you wanted to call out on? Should we um, should we talk about the Daisy Duke contest since we it's can. a little different than the Miss Carlisle <laughs> contest? It is different. Or do you want to just cover that on our bit why after? Don't, why don't you? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I'll do that part. So, Ed, um, at the Chevy Nationals a couple weeks ago, I got to attend my very first Miss Carlisle contest and told our fans all about how that went. Um, so I was excited to see we're doing it a little bit differently this time, and I see we're going to have a Daisy Dukes contest. Um, so they come out in their cutoff shorts and their plaid shirts. And Pretty much. Same type of deal, right? And it's... 
The idea behind this was obviously after the Dukes of Hazard, and that was a Mopar car in right. the show. And Catherine Bach has been here, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, a couple times. Mm-hmm. And that's actually Daisy Duke herself, right? Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so what do you see? Do you expect a bigger turnout, or what's like the biggest turnout you've seen for one of these types of competitions? Uh, well, it depends on the show. Our tuner show back in the day used to really get a lot of girls for the actual bikini contest. Um, and I don't recall what year it was, but one of the years during the Daisy Duke, we actually had to turn people away. We, we couldn't take any more sign-ups. Wow. Um, so it's just a little more fun. You know, the MC that year, I just remember he did a great job working the, the audience, the, the girls on stage. Everybody just had so much fun with it. It, mm-hmm. it took away a lot of the pressure of, of you know, parading around in a bikini versus doing mm-hmm. the Daisy Duke thing. Um, and, and again, like I say, the MC really, I think, brought it around, or brought it alive for everybody. But just the, the plan here was to do something just a little more themed towards the show and a little more family-friendly. I mean, we all like cars and girls. They go together perfectly. But, you know, the, the show's getting to be more and more family. You know, the guys yes. that came here 20 years ago when they were single and in their 20s are now in their 40s and have their kids with them. Mm-hmm. So just to make it a little more themed but still keep the tradition of the cars and the girls. We just wanted to shake it up a little bit and, and do that, and it's been going really well. I think people enjoy it. Great. I like it, too, because it almost gives the girls a chance to be more creative. Like, they get to pick their shorts and pick their top, and it can be a colorful thing. They can do their hair cute, you know, like mm-hmm. Daisy Duke. So mm-hmm. I like it. I think it should be really neat. Yep. And is there anything else that you'd want to share with, uh, of course, Chrysler National attendees and fans and podcast listeners and anyone that's coming to Carlisle that uh, they may not be able to read about on the website or or not know uh, quite as easily. Well, one thing, and this is on the website and it's all over everything that we're doing this year, but just I feel like it gets glossed over a little bit because the Roadrunners seem to take center stage compared to the Super B. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to ignore that. Um, You know, Roadrunner outsold the Super B to a degree, but still you know a car that not only needs to be recognized and honored i personally that is actually the car that made me a mopar guy for anybody who doesn't know um, i think i've touched on this before but you know as a kid growing up i didn't really have any automotive influence i just knew i loved cars so you pick up a magazine and you know i liked whatever was in there but uh early 80s when i was about 12 years old i found the 69 and a half six-pack super b model on the shelf at the at the store and had no idea what a six-pack was, but man, I love the styling of that car. And uh, put the model together and found some magazine articles on it and realized the other cars with six-pack engines, it wasn't just that Super B. And that's when I found they were part of that Mopar family that we talked about mm-hmm. and didn't really know what that meant. But it, I just loved the Super B. The 69 Super B is really the car that got me to shift gears and become a Mopar guy. And then when I found out all the other cars that fell under that umbrella, um, so for me personally, the Super B is very important. I have not owned one and still don't, but uh, and I do have a Roadrunner, but I don't want to play favorites here. Um, you know, a lot of Super Bs coming out this year to the show, and uh, you know, that's a, a trim level that Dodge mm-hmm. continued to make here with the with the new Chargers. Mm-hmm. So it, it spans a little bit more of a timeline than than just the Roadrunner. But want to make sure that the Super Bs get their get their fair shake here at the show because even though there won't be quite as many as there are Roadrunners and they don't have the cute little horn, but, uh, <laughs> you know, definitely got to give it to the Super B guys want to get them out here and make sure they have a good time this weekend too. Excellent. Well, awesome. thank you for sharing a little bit about your connection and how it 
how your particular Mopar passion goes. Anybody that knows Ed Bozeski or Ed B, they know he is Mr. Mopar around the Carlisle way. So that's outstanding. Do you have any favorite memories to close out with, like as far as of all the shows since the 90s? Oh, boy. Well, we were talking about some of them earlier today, but, I mean, I've been coming to everyone since 1991, you know, when the show first started. It was to me, it was just kind of a novelty back then because it was in my backyard. So I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll check this out. Mm-hmm. It really is amazing what it's grown into over the years. Um, I don't think I have a, a personal favorite year. Um, you know, we started showing. I've been coming since the first year. I started vending somewhere in the mid to late 90s, and then not well about mid 90s. I also started to put on the show field and you know finished my dart and. You know, I've done that, so I've done pretty much everything here. I don't think I've ever been officially in, in the invitation. I may have put a car in to fill a hole once in a while, but mm-hmm. um, it still just amazes me how much the show has grown, you know, from its early days where we couldn't even fill the infield out here, and that included, you know, parking and vending and show field and everything, and boy, within two to three years, it, it was noticeable, and by the mid to late 90s, we were starting to fill the place, and and it, it's just been a neat, neat thing to watch this whole event grow, and you know, now we're to the point where we're kind of bursting at the seams and trying to figure out where we'll go with the cars in the future, but we'll find a spot for them. Yeah. So, That's awesome. And maybe not everyone has had a chance to meet Ed, but not only is he a friend of ours, but he's just a, a great guy. And, and you have you deserve a lot of credit for making that show a bit of what you said, you know, novelty, something interesting to check out. And it is, it is a force to be reckoned with. Anyone that is involved with Mopar, you... You, along with uh, the management, really put Carlisle on the map for the uh, for the Chrysler Dodge and overall Mopar community. So yeah, good it's, work it's to the you. whole team here. I mean, it, you know, we've we've just got the best staff. From whether you call in and talk to somebody in the front office, mm-hmm. or you know, probably the biggest unsung heroes here <clears throat> would be our maintenance crew. Mm-hmm. They're the ones. You know, while I'm sitting here in the air conditioning on these hot days, they're outside. You know, putting up all the fence and mm-hmm. keeping that grass cut, mm-hmm. getting the burnout pit set up for the burnouts and you know, they, they just go nonstop. The blue barrels. I mean, that alone is a lot of work. Just That's a lot of work, and then we get one little windstorm, and they're yeah. all against the fence. Yeah. So I don't know how many hundreds of barrels we have, but it, it's quite a few, and, and, and those guys just go nonstop for all the events, mm-hmm. and, and they're the ones that make us look like heroes. So I, I do want to thank them for what they do. Excellent. And everybody else here, I mean, from our you know, our marketing team, the, the people out front that answer the phones, no matter what you do here, it's definitely a team effort, and you know, it's not one person at all. Well said. Well, thank you again for giving us some time. We really appreciate and we can't wait to see you this weekend. We'll be here. Yep. We're going to try and hit as many events as we can. So, Ed, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank we'll you. see you this weekend. Thank you. I'll be here. Well, it looks like that's a wrap, Cubers. Stay tuned for episode 13 next week when we give you the recap of what we did at the Chrysler Hearst Nationals. And until then, we'll say drive well and be well. Take, Take care. care.